You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Morning, church. Morning, welcome to the 9 a.m. Thank you for being here. December 31st. I'm going to get you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to finish off chapter 8 today. I get to preach this morning. It's exciting. Kai's on vacation. He's enjoying time with his family. Amen. What a year. What a year. I want to thank you for allowing me the privilege again to speak to you this morning and to open God's word. I'm going to do that too. John chapter 8. And I'm humbled to bring you the last message of the year. As I reflect and I look back on all that God has done through and to this church community this past year, I think you would agree with me that it's a, it's a little bit overwhelming. So if you hear something in the following list that is praiseworthy, I'm going to encourage you to clap or shout out an Amen. And fill this room with praise this morning. Is that okay? Okay. And there's not enough time left in the rest of today to go over all that God has done. But I just want to name a few things. Things like um, the fact that he has filled our chairs and this church community with a number of new families in this last year. If you are new to this church, say amen or clap your hands in this last year. Amen. Praise God. That's amazing. I love that to saving a number of souls in this community who were once lost and now found in Jesus Christ. Amen? There are people who have come to faith this year. That is fantastic. It's exciting. To calling believers young and old to the ordinance of baptism. Oh, it's been awesome seeing that in the summertime and just recently. To laying on the hearts of our congregation to give sacrificially with their time and their finances in this season to the kids in the adult ministries and the young adult ministries that have been thriving under solid biblical teaching week after week, to the men who have been encouraged to pursue elder training by the guiding of the Holy Spirit, and for the men who are coming this year who will feel called by the Holy Spirit to continue doing that sort of thing, and to the members of this community who have stepped in passionately to support and fill the needs and care for the hurting and the broken and the needy. When I see all that God has done in this church community and how he has used so many of us to serve each other and to reach those in Muskoka, my heart is full of thankfulness, and I hope yours is too. Who am I? In fact, who are we that God should choose to make us a blessing to others? Who are we that Jesus should choose us for his own and use us for his glory? Even as recent as our Christmas Eve service, who was blessed by that? That was amazing. What a glorifying thing to God. Even as recent as that, I'm amazed at the gifting that we have here at Harvest, and it's beyond me why God has chosen to equip us with that kind of gifting. Many of you have joined our church community this year. You've said, Wow, look at all the cool things that God is doing at Harvest. 
And I would agree with you. My family and I, we've, we've been at Harvest since 2015, and we've seen our shares of highs and lows in this church community uh, since we started attending. And I can confidently say that uh, we have never experienced a season like the one that we're currently in. So in every respect, as we head towards 2024, I am very excited. I am very excited. I go into next year with my eyes set on a God who is clearly in control, on a God who doesn't make mistakes, on a God who knows what he's doing, because as we'll see in this passage today, Jesus, the great I am, has come into this world and he has lit the path for us to walk in. We can go confidently and boldly from here because Jesus has come and gone before us. So as we get ready to walk through the rest of John chapter 8 together, my prayer is that we would see Jesus for who he is, that is God in control. What a restful truth to set our minds on as we go into this next year. Because there's going to be chaos in this world, right? No doubt. This next year is going to be full of chaos. Whether that's personal chaos, uh, political chaos, and for sure global chaos. None of the world's problems are going to stop tonight when the clock hits midnight. And so too, Jesus, the great I am, will not cease to be on his throne. So let's pray together. Let's get ready for God's word. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to walk through your word and to point our hearts towards you. I pray that in this passage we would see you, Jesus, for who you are, totally in control. A God who loves us and wants the best for us. I thank you for the people who are here to listen to this message, and I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that we would be receptive to you. Holy Spirit, lead us through your word, and may you get all the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we got a lot of scripture to cover, so let's start in verse 12. I'm going to read, a, we're going to go 12 all the way through to 59. I'm going to read a bunch of it, but I'm not going to read all of it, so hopefully you've done your homework and you've read ahead. But let's start in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So the Pharisees have been plotting for a while now, right? They've been plotting on how to kill 
Jesus, how to get their hands on him and kill him. And they've been plotting as far back as John chapter 5 when he healed a man on the Sabbath. And here we have Jesus making his second of seven I am statements about himself in the book of John, where he compares himself to a better version of something else. The first comes in John chapter 6, verse 35, after the feeding of the 5,000, where he says, I am the bread of life. And here in the midst of the temple, Jesus compares himself to light, saying, I am the light of the world. These I am statements are on purpose, so keep an eye out for them as we continue to work through the book of John in the next year. They serve to draw us into his character, and he uses them to help our earthly minds to understand who he is and the relationship that he wants with us. So what is he saying here? I am the light of the world. He doesn't want us to walk in darkness. His words and actions, with them, he is the fulfillment, the physical embodiment of Psalm 119, 105, which says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus desires that we follow him and not walk in darkness. I know we know this, right? If you've gone to church for years, but I want this to fall fresh on you this morning because 2024 apart from Jesus, will be dark. And if we take our eyes off of him in this coming year, we will experience moments of darkness. It is when we are walking step in step with Jesus that we can experience his light. And when Jesus compares himself to light and to bread, and as we're going to see later on in John, things like the true vine and the good shepherd... He's making big and bold truth statements about himself, ones that the Pharisees don't even believe. They don't believe in his authority, they don't understand his origins, and they don't acknowledge him and his relationship with God the Father. And Jesus knows this, and so he spends the rest of this chapter making big and bold truth statements about the Pharisees and the Jews. And it's going to get heated. I don't know if you've read ahead but it's pretty intense. It's a great passage. Here, he says that they don't know God because they don't know him. They don't trust God because they don't trust him. They don't understand God because they don't understand him. So, applying this word right here to our lives today, going into next year, we should be asking ourselves, do I really know Jesus? Do I really trust Jesus? Do I really understand Jesus? Because it's not enough to say that we believe in God. If you have friends or family members that say that they believe in God, but they have no relationship with Jesus, they don't actually believe in God. Instead, they believe in God, a God of their own fabrication. To have a relationship with God is to have a relationship with Jesus. Because the Son and the Father are one. They are together. So Jesus goes on and he makes it more clear for the Pharisees in verses 21 to 30. That the light of the world wasn't the system that they had set up. It wasn't the rules that they added. 
Instead, it was the Son of Man that was to be lifted up. He makes that distinction between himself and the Pharisees in verse 23 and 24. Take a look. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's basically the same thing that John the Baptist said about Jesus all the way back in chapter 4. He said it about himself too. He said, Jesus is not of this world. I am of this world. The Pharisees then ask him one of the most important questions they could possibly ask Jesus. They say, who are you? Who are you? They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him do wondrous signs and healings. They've even heard him speak scripture better than anyone that has ever been trained from a child. And Jesus answers that question by pointing them to all of that, by pointing them to his works. His works point to who he is. And to the fact that his authority to do these signs comes from God the Father. Verse 30 says that as he was saying these things, many believed in him. 2,000 years have gone by, and we still believe in Jesus in the same way. Through his miracles and his wondrous healings and signs and what scripture says about him. Our testimony speaks to the living and active word of God in our lives. People come to faith in God through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Scripture points us to him, and so does the Holy Spirit working through people. And that's a question that we should be asking ourselves every single day. When you wake up in the morning, on some level you should be asking, who is Jesus? Asking and answering that question through scripture will constantly point us back to the gospel. And if you have a friend or a family member who doesn't know Jesus, ask them that question. Okay, who is Jesus? If you're not sure how to evangelize to your friends or family members, start with that. Ask them, who is Jesus? And get them to answer that. They're going to wrestle with that question. And it will force them to look at two things, Scripture and your testimony. Scripture is the, what Jesus has done and what he will do. And your testimony is the what Jesus is doing currently in this world. See, as a, a camp leader for many, many years, we would encourage our cabin leaders to form their testimonies, to write them out, to memorize them, and to be able to share them with their campers. Because that was one of the most effective ways to communicate the gospel. You do that with scripture, and you show them what God is currently doing. And we would have to avoid what was called, it's going to be a little gross, I'm sorry, it's called toilet bowl testimonies. We didn't want our cabin leaders doing that, uh, where they would kind of circle around and around, and that's the most visual I'm going to give you, I'm sorry, uh, of the bad stuff in their life, the stuff that came before Christ. We wanted to get them off of that, because as important as it was of what Christ has saved us from, it was equally, if not more important, 
about the actual literal work that Christ is doing in their lives at that moment. It was important for our campers to know that those leaders didn't have it all together and that Jesus was changing them from day to day and that he was working on them because it pointed to a future where one day we would be with him in heaven and there would be no more pain, no more sin. And so the testimony was perfect for having kids understand more about Jesus. All right. Jesus amps it up a bit. He's pulling no punches, and he's mincing no words here. He addresses the Jews who had some sort of belief in him, right? In verse 30, where it says many believed in him, so he's addressing them now. And he publicly exposes them as not following the will of God, because if they did, then they wouldn't want to kill him. The Jews go back to their claim of inheritance in Abraham, and Jesus exposes that too claiming that if they were really of Abraham, they would be following Jesus, not seeking to kill him. Take a look at verse 44. <laughs> Remember what I said, he's not mincing his words here. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And then he says, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason, home, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. It's not their lineage in Abraham that's going to save them. They need to put their faith in Jesus. And the same is true of us today. Our family's faith doesn't save us. Jesus does. So to the kids who are sitting here today, I see a few of you. God bless your family for bringing you to church week after week and being faithful to bring you so that you can hear more about God. That is amazing. But you coming to church every week, that's not your salvation. And your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or whoever's bringing you is not your salvation. Your relationship with Jesus is all that matters. So at some point, hopefully sooner than later, if you haven't done it already, you're going to have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Not because your parents tell you to do it, but because you actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And how do you know that you believe? It's simple. You just ask this question. Ready? Who is Jesus? You ask that to yourself. Who do you believe he is? Do you believe that he's the son of God? Do you believe that he was born 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life and took the punishment for our sin and the punishment that we deserved? Do you believe that he conquered death and that he rose from the dead in his own strength and made a way for us to be with God through relationship with him? Yeah, it's the gospel you've heard all your life. If you've been coming to church since you were a baby, this is the gospel you hear in Harvest Kids. It's the gospel you hear in youth. It's the gospel that you hear in young adults. 
but it has to be a relationship with Jesus between you and him. So do you believe it? I want you to wrestle with that this coming year if you haven't. In this chapter, Jesus makes it abundantly clear to everyone around him that he considers himself to be equal with God the Father. He equates his will with God's will. He claims to speak the words of God. And in this book already, he's claimed to be the better bread from heaven, the source of living water, and in this chapter, the light of the world. And now he's about to make an even bolder claim, one that relates all the way back to Genesis and Exodus. In this last part of chapter 8, the Jews reach their most frustrated point with Jesus, claiming him to be a Samaritan, likely because he doesn't follow the extra Pharisaical laws. It was also just a slur, like calling him a Samaritan would have been degrading. And they also say that he's possessed by a demon, which would, would have been the equivalent of calling him crazy or insane. Well, just hold on for a second. How many of you have been called crazy or insane for your faith in Jesus? Amen? You can put up your hand if you want. Yeah. It's a little encouraging, actually, uh, to know that we're not alone in that, that Jesus himself was called insane for his words, the words that we believe, the words that we follow. So don't let that accusation deter you from sharing the blessing of Jesus with others this year. We are living in a world that inches closer and closer to calling this hate speech. Our worldview is in direct opposition to the prevailing ones in Canada. And yet, the way of the cross, Jesus' way, has been despised by the world since Jesus taught it. So there really is nothing new under the sun. Okay, yeah, if spoken by a regular, ordinary person, verse 51 would sound a little crazy. Take a look. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If that was an ordinary person talking... That's a big statement that sounds a little crazy. But it's not just an ordinary person. It's our Savior. Jesus' entire ministry on earth was to undo what was done in the garden with Adam and Eve. He came to crush the head of the snake, to defeat Satan, and to reverse the curse of sin and death. And here he is saying to the Jews and Pharisees that his words are the words that bring life everlasting. And later in John chapter 10, verse 10, he'll reiterate that when he says, the thief comes only to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's interesting to note, though, in, that in all this interaction, Jesus continues to point to God to give him all the glory. Look at verse 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. This has been Jesus' mission the whole time while he's on earth. Every time he performed a miracle or healed someone, he encouraged people to glorify God rather than himself. Now, he's never actually deflected any praise. Whenever people worshipped him, he would accept it because he is God. But his will 
was to do the will of God the Father. So he willingly submitted everything to God the Father, including being the primary recipient of any praise and worship. Now, you ready for this? In doing this, Jesus actually brings more glory to himself. Look at verse 54 and 55. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Because Jesus was on mission to glorify God and fulfill God's will 100% on earth, he is actually worthy to be glorified. Jesus' mission on earth was a complete success. He lived a perfect life, and so he is deserving of our worship. Now, the Jews didn't like this claim, obviously. They didn't like that Jesus was claiming to do the will of the Father, but they weren't. They didn't like that Jesus said that Abraham would have approved of his actions, but not the actions of the Jews. They didn't like that Jesus was calling them liars and followers of the devil. And they certainly didn't understand what he meant when in verse 56, Jesus said to them, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Okay. If this were a blockbuster movie, this would be the crescendo of the story right here. I love this passage, and I love where it's headed. This would be the part where the music is most intense. It would be the part where the camera is most zoomed in, where the shot is kind of jittery, and everything is coming to a point. It's here that we reach the moment where Jesus unequivocally equates himself with God using a deeply powerful statement. The Jews were confused that Jesus would say that Abraham rejoiced at seeing his day. So look at verse 37. The Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Okay. Now you have to understand the gravity of this statement. Before Abraham was, I am. Critics of the Bible, especially Muslim scholars, will claim that Jesus never spoke the words, look at me, I'm God, I am God Almighty, look at me, I'm equal to God. He never said that phrase, and so they look at that and say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's because he didn't need to. He equated himself with God in a way that was much deeper. One that left the Jews certain of what he was saying. You see, the Jews knew exactly what Jesus said when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was referring back to Moses and the burning bush. When God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush 
and called him to lead the people of Israel out of slavery, Moses asked in Exodus chapter 3, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Jesus deliberately uses the statement, I am, throughout John, and John records it very well to show us that he is pointing back to being equal with God the Father. That moment in the burning bush in front of Moses, that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is Jesus. And they are one and the same. So how do we know this? How do we know that Jesus was trying to do this? That he was pointing back to God? Well, verse 59 makes it pretty clear. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, the penalty for blasphemy, which was saying falsities against God, or in this case, claiming to be God, was stoning. The Jews were preparing to kill Jesus for claiming to be God. And Jesus didn't correct himself. He simply hid himself and left the temple since it wasn't his time. The other interesting thing that we can look at here is that when Jesus is speaking in that words, I am, it's important that we look at something called the Greek Septuagint. Have you ever heard of that before? And we compare those words with those in Exodus. So in the New Testament, including John, it was written in Greek, ancient Greek. The Septuagint is an Old Testament from Genesis all the way to Malachi, written in Greek, translated from Hebrew, written in Greek. And it was done by Jewish scholars about two to three hundred years before Jesus was born. And so the word for I am, the words for I am in Exodus, when God is describing himself as I am, is ego I me. The words that Jesus uses in the book of John here in verse 58, and then earlier when he said I am he, are ego I me. And so they're intentionally and deliberately written so that the reader at that time would understand that Jesus is being pointed back to God the Father. And there should be no doubt in our mind and in the minds of the Jewish readers as to who Jesus is and who he's claiming to be. And so that's my question for us in this coming year. Because if you're like me, you believe that God is going to do amazing things in this year through this church community That's my hope anyway. In fact, I hope he does that through all of our church communities here in Huntsville. I hope that we see an incredible resurgence of people coming back to the church to understand what God's will is for their life. My hope is that we see Huntsville explode in 2024 with deeply rooted, faith-filled, Bible-believing Christians. So our job here at this church, in this church community, is to make sure we do that as best as we can. We have 
men's ministries and women's ministries. We have youth ministries and kids' ministries. We have young adults. We have deacon roles. We have ministries that involve going out into the community and making sure that the members of this uh, town and our district are taken care of. Get involved and be a part of what God is doing. So thank you for what you have done this year in pouring into his ministry and his plan for this church. I am excited. I am excited for 2024. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to invite the worship team now to come back up as we close. I encourage you to believe in God in control. A God who is in complete control of this world and who chooses to come to earth and to live a perfect life so that we could have everlasting life through him. We believe in a God who knows exactly what he's doing in 2024. And despite our world seeming like it's in shambles, God is in control. We get to go into tomorrow not having to fear or be anxious about what people will say about us because of our faith. Our Jesus has experienced the same persecution that we have and more. And he has overcome the world, right? John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, we get to go confidently tomorrow. We get to approach tomorrow because of Jesus, because of the light of the world, the great I am. He has prepared the way wherein we should walk. We get to be excited for all that he has planned for us. We get to look back on this year. Let that be fuel for 2024. And be excited. He is who he is. And nothing can change that. So let's respond in worship as we sing.